who are making their way out to junior church can head right back here to my left, your right, to meet Mrs. Vandalinder for junior church. Ryan said something in his prayer. I don't know if you caught it. I caught it. It was exactly right. He said, um, worship you in song and in preaching. Now, that's not... That's not um, something that you often hear, sometimes, often you will actually hear churches refer to the praise and worship and the preaching. And I hope you recognize that preaching is worship. What we are to do when we approach the Word of God is to approach it with a worshipful attitude. That, God, this is your Word, and I will submit to it. May your Holy Spirit show me what I need to change what I should change. Uh, We participate in worship as we submit to the preaching of the word. And so it's not praise and worship and preaching. It's worship through song and during our time of, of preaching in the word. So I hope that this morning, as Brother Fisher opens the word of God to us, that that is our attitude I am grateful for men um, who can handle the Word of God well and do so responsibly, judiciously, and competently. I appreciate Pastor Dan preaching last week in my absence, and then Brother Fisher allowing this past week to be a true vacation, because it's not a true vacation if you have to prepare for Sunday, but but I do appreciate both of these men filling the pulpit and uh, doing an excellent job. Brother Fisher, come if you would and bring the Word of God to us. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Uh, a real special treat to be here this Sunday. Um, this past week, I was at Fort Jackson for uh, temporary duty for a religious leader symposium, and um, uh, tried to fly out last Sunday and had mechanical issues on the plane. And um, you know, COVID is still a real thing, but standing in the airport with two or 3,000 people around me, standing in line for four hours to get another flight, I was like, yeah, okay. And then the same thing happened on Thursday, trying to return. Uh, we didn't have mechanical issues, but that thunderstorm, if you remember, the southeast got just inundated with tornadoes and stuff. Well, I was in the Columbia, South Carolina airport trying to get to Charlotte, uh, because Charlotte has a lot more options to get to Austin than... Uh, Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, This particular message I had prepared to preach in the chapel uh, during the Snowmageddon, you know, we had, where we were Fort Drum, Texas, instead of Fort Hood, Texas. And uh, so Chris and I huddled up in our little trailer by the lake, um, I think fared better than some people with houses. Uh, we, We lost water initially, but we had plenty of water stockpiled. We never lost heat or electricity, uh, so we're thankful for the Lord for that. But toward the end of that, I started running a fever, and the Army's rule is, is if you or start running a fever, uh, you have to not come to work, but get a COVID test, and then come to work after. So the Sunday I was supposed to preach this was the Sunday after Ash Wednesday, if you're familiar with Lent and many of the denominations. So anyway, I'm excited to preach this because... I have actually prepared it twice, and I get to preach it once. So Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, as we look at the temptation of Christ, these are one of the passages that 
You know, there, you could go all kinds of different directions and you could focus on all kinds of things. So I tried to make it as simple as possible. And um, uh, it's very interesting to me as I was working through this, you know, how many of you have heard the expression, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We all have areas in our lives where the flesh is weak, where Satan knows that designer thing, that, that key thing that will drive a wedge between you and your God. Um, and every one of us, this, and the Spirit knows it as well, uh, tries to keep us bolstered in the faith. Since the fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, the temptations have been a constant, unrelenting part of human life. Men have tried to avoid, resist, and ignore, but no person has ever found a place or circumstance that can make him safe from temptation. So with that, let's read our passage, and then we'll pray one more time and get started. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him up on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him again, It is written, You shall not put the Lord, or put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world And their glory, and he said to him, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him alone shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Let's pray. Our precious Heavenly Father, you've given us so much in this life. An ever-present and challenging circumstance and situation in our life is temptation. Christ revealed this episode with Satan to give us some lessons and principles to live by as we work through our own issues and challenges of the flesh. Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for its pastors. Lord, just pray, and its people. Lord, just pray that it would be a shining light on a hill here in downtown Round Rock and surrounding communities. Lord, thank you for our time together at your word. Use us and teach us and change us, Lord. We pray this in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, is one of the most monumental and mysterious battles of all time. It is recounted the personal confrontation between Jesus Christ and Satan himself. The devil's temptations directed at Jesus in the wilderness of Judea were observed by no other human being. He was entirely alone, and it is therefore obvious that we could know nothing of what transpired with Jesus here in the wilderness unless He Himself told His disciples of it. So He does to reveal to us the victory secret of this momentous struggle between Christ and Satan. The encounter of Satan with Satan occurred immediately after Jesus' baptism, where the Father proclaimed out of heaven, This is my beloved Son, in whom... I am well pleased in verse 17 of the previous chapter. When God speaks to you, 
Satan strikes at you. When God fills you with His Spirit, the devil fights you. Our text demonstrates why Jesus was well-pleasing to His Father. Jesus listened to the words of His Father, and He applied them to His daily life. The purpose of Matthew's recounting this event is to demonstrate a pattern of Jesus' victory over the temptations of sin, a pattern that Jesus longs to share with all who belong to Him. When we face testing and temptation, we too can be victorious over sin in our life. And the adversary's attempts to corrupt us and usurp the Lord's rightful place in our lives. This wedge that is driven between us and our God can be eliminated. And we may too also learn how to stand in times of battle and face the same victory. Jesus found over the enemy of our soul. Uh, Jesus prayed in John 17. I want you to turn in your Bibles to John 17 to establish a foundation uh, for uh, the principles and things that we're going to look at. In John 17, verse 13, I just want to read through these things and let you hear for yourself how Jesus prayed for you and His church and His people. In verse 13 of chapter 17 of John, it says, But now... I am coming to you, these things I speak into the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So Jesus is praying for His joy to be fulfilled in us, which to me is an amazing prayer. For 14, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. The key here is that He's given us his word. And it's not just a you know, good luck charm to carry around with us or have available to get into the car to come to church on Sunday. It is a sword. It is meant to you be used to protect us. Verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Temptation. Verse 16, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Verse 17 is key. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So it refers back to the word that he's been given to us. And we're not only to be sanctified in truth, but we're going to be sanctified by this instrument, the word, which is the word is truth. Verse 18, as you sent them into the world, I have sent me into the world, rather. I have sent them into the world. And notice verse 19. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. So we don't like uh, dirty anything in this world. If we, well, there may be some people that like dirty, but... Generally speaking, we want to buy something that is without flaw, that is clean. If you go look at a new vehicle and you find that it's filthy and dirty, or you go look at a new home to walk through it if it's filthy and dirty. I love the fact that in this chapter, Jesus is praying to His Father about us, and He is letting us peek at His prayer in John 17 using words like sanctify. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. I consecrate myself that they may be sanctified in truth. Sanctified here, as you've heard from many messages, means to be set apart to God for His purposes. 
The challenge is, is that temptation draws us away from this sanctification and this consecration. We can't be set apart for holy purposes if we are allowing ourselves to be consumed with the filth of this world. Now, if you're not convicted yet, I'll start. I'm convicted because we live in a world that is consumed with filth. It flows through the radio, it flows through the TV, it flows through conversation at work. It's a challenge. So I ask this question, how long has it been since you've been tempted to sin? If it's been more than 24 hours, maybe you haven't been paying attention. Or you're a very rare person indeed. Temptation is an aspect of our daily lives. But I also think it's a very potent reminder of the sanctification and consecration that God has designed for us as His instruments in this world. He could have easily sanctified us, consecrated us, and taken us out of this world, but He chose us to leave us here so that others may see Christ in us. So here in this passage, God gives us at least four spiritual lessons in the temptation of Christ. Number one, the temptation of Christ here teaches us about the crucial leadership of the Holy Spirit. It is in the last chapter, Jesus was about to begin His public ministry. He humbled Himself to be baptized by John the Baptist. And then the Holy Spirit descended upon the Lord in the form of a dove. But here in chapter 4, the story takes an unexpected turn. It's like a parenthesis. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit, up by the Spirit, into the wilderness to be tempted for the purpose of, for the design of, to be tempted by the devil. He had fasted 40 days and 40 nights after he was hungry. If simple men were running the show, we would have led Jesus to a mansion or a hilltop, the governor's mansion, or straight to the emperor's throne. But the Holy Spirit led Jesus Christ out to a dry, barren wilderness without food. The fact reminds us that the Holy Spirit will sometimes lead us into difficult places. Thankfully, that's not the end of the story for us. These difficult places are the places where God's works begins. Jesus is preparing a mansion for every one of us as followers, and sometimes God's Holy Spirit will lead us into difficult places in life We must not think that the Lord is always going to put us on easy street. It's the difficult places where the Holy Spirit leads. It's the easy street where we get confident and self-sufficient in our own strengths and our own perspectives in life. It's amazing how many young soldiers, when I was a basic training chaplain, wanted to go to church on Sunday. It was probably more likely to get away from drill sergeants than it was to find God. But it's not easy street. It's difficult places. And if we find ourselves in difficult circumstances and we're tempted to turn from God, God uses difficult places to remind us of His overwhelming strength and power and transcendence. George Young helps us understand this truth. George was a carpenter and a little-known preacher in the 1800s. He spent a lifetime humbly serving his Lord in a very small community. Financial support was often lacking, and it was hard on George's family. But through it all, the ups and downs, his faithful wife never wavered in her loyalty to God and to her husband. After a long struggle, the family was able to move into their own small home 
which George built with his own hands. But later on, when George was away preaching, some local thugs who did not like that gospel that he preached set the house on fire. The family was saved, but the house was a total loss. But out of this experience, George wrote these words, which became a hymn. In shady green pastures, so rich and so sweet, God leads His dear children along. Where the water's cool flow bathes the weary one's feet, God leads His dear children along. Some through the water, some through the flood, some through the fire, but all through the blood. Some through great sorrow, but God gives a song in the night season and all the day long. That song was not born out of Easy Street. It was born out of a young family displaced because people did not like the message of the gospel. Sometime around 1942, after George died, another hymn writer decided to track down this widow and find out more about this story. The songwriter's name was Haldar Linnaeus, I think, and he found George's young widow living in a country poorhouse in a small town. The conditions there were far from pleasant, but Linnaeus found a Miss Young very radiant with the joy of the Lord and spoke of how God had guided her and her husband over many years of faithful service to Him. And then she exclaimed, God led me here, Dr. Linnaeus. I am so glad He did, for you know about every month someone new comes into this place to spend the rest of their days. So many of them don't know my Jesus, so I have the time of my life introducing them to my Savior. Dr. Linnaeus, isn't it wonderful how God leads? Sometimes we look around and think of ourselves in difficult circumstances which we would like to change. But perhaps it's those very circumstances that get you face to face with someone who doesn't know the Jesus that we know. God leads us into a situation of greater dependence upon Him. This reminds us that we are indeed His. We belong to Him. Whenever we need leadership, the Holy Spirit will give it. That, my friend, is the first lesson of the Lord's temptation. The second lesson, but the temptation of Christ also teaches us about the righteousness of our Savior. Our, the righteousness of our Savior. Of course, Jesus did not yield to the devil's temptations. The Lord would, would never did yield to sin, not even once. He's sinless. But why did Jesus even allow Himself to be tempted? There's a couple of reasons. First, He allowed Himself to be tempted in order to sympathize with us. Jesus Christ was certain, certainly a man of flesh and blood. He got hungry, thirsty, tired. He felt pain. He shed tears. He bled when He was cut. But Jesus allowed Him to go through all this so that He could sympathize with us. And to me, this is an amazing, encouraging truth. Over in Hebrews chapter 4, it puts it this way, Seeing then that we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus allowed Himself to be tempted so He could sympathize with us. But not only that, Jesus allowed Himself to be tempted to sympathize with us. He allowed it to show us His righteousness. 
to know that He is a righteous God. When Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness, do you think He was worried about doing the right thing? I don't think so. In Isaiah 26, 7, addresses the Lord as the most upright, and the Lord God is perfect in every way. Psalm 33, 5 tells us that the Lord loves righteousness and justice, and the earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Psalm 107, 8 and 9 pleads with all people to give thanks to the Lord for His goodness, for His wonderful works to the children of men, for He satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. Sometimes when we think of the goodness of God, we put it in circumstances that make sense to us in this world, in, the, in America, in Texas right now. He's goodness because of the things that He blesses us with. But God is intrinsically good. There is no darkness in Him. He is good through and through. Not because of what He does, because of who He is. That to me is an amazing truth. God is perfect in every way. His goodness is eternal. It's something that we can depend on today, tomorrow, and forever. God will always do the right thing at the right time. Psalm 111 says, His work is honorable and glorious. His righteousness endures forever. And Psalm 119 says, Righteousness is as an everlasting righteousness. Wow, so He's not only good, He's righteous, and He's not only righteous today, He's righteous today, tomorrow, and forever. Wow, there is no substitute for the goodness and the righteousness of God. We can admire someone and say, He is a good man. But if you understand and know your scriptures, He's not entirely good. But when you bow your head before a holy God and you say, My God, you are so good, that is an absolute truth. He is indeed good and righteous. Jesus was a man like us, and He is and always has been the Lord God Almighty. That's why Paul made this mind-boggling statement in Colossians 2, 8 and 9. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, not according to Christ. For Him dwells, for in Him, in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Astounding statement. All the fullness of the Godhead permanently lives in the body of Jesus Christ, in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. This is astounding, but of course it's absolutely true. God cannot sin. Listen to some of the evidence from His Word. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we are faithless, He remains faithful. He cannot deny Himself. Titus 1, 1 and 2, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and acknowledgement of the truth, which is according to godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. In James 1.13, Let no one say when he is tempted, he is tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. James Merritt expressed it this way, Jesus was tempted not to prove that he could overcome sin, but to prove that sin could not overcome him. A very big difference there. That's why in John 8, 29, Jesus could say this about himself and his heavenly Father. He who sent me is with me. 
The Father has not left me alone, for I have always do those things that please Him. The temptation of Christ teaches us about the righteousness of our Savior. The lesson, though, is not complete until we apply it to our own heart and life. We have access to this righteousness. We have been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, those that have accepted Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. So when He sees us, He doesn't see our sin, He sees our righteousness. But our sin so easily separates us. So we have to be faithful to confess our sin. But lesson number three this morning, but it also teaches us about the power of Scripture. I think there's an important progression here. God's Word has the power to help us overcome sin, and here we see some of the ways the Bible can work in our lives. First, it can help us be prepared for temptation. In verse 1, when Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, He knew that He was going to be tempted. And we didn't know that we're going to be tempted too, not by God, but by the devil and also by our own sinful natures. Again, in James chapter 1, 13 and 14, do let no one say that when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. The Bible tells us that we will be tempted by sin, and we will be tempted the same basic ways that Jesus was tempted here. In John, 1 John chapter 2, it spells it out for us. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world... The love of the Father is not in him, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of this world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, these are the three basic areas with which we will be attacked. And in our scripture this morning, Jesus faced all three types of temptation. In verse 3, the tempter came to him. And said, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. This is the lust of the flesh. In verse 8, the devil took him up to an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. This is the lust of the eyes. In verses 5 and 6, the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written... He shall give His angels charge concerning you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. This is the pride of life. These are the same three kinds of temptation that we face. It has been that way ever since the Garden of Eden. In the Garden, the serpent, Satan, tempted Eve in the very same ways he tried to tempt us and tempt Christ. In Genesis 3, 6, it tells us Eve saw that the tree was good for food. That's the lust of the flesh. She saw that it was pleasant to the eyes. That's the lust of the eyes. And she saw that it was the tree desirable to make one wise. That's the pride of life. Both Eve and Jesus faced the same three kinds of temptation, and so do we. The Scripture can certainly help us to expect temptation, but it can also help us to detect it. Temptation. This is important because Satan often covers up a lie and a piece of truth. This is what he tried to pull on the Lord in verses 5 and through 7. The devil tried to use God's holy word in an unholy way. He dressed it up in a lie. He dressed up that lie with some truth. Let's start looking at verse 5. 
when the devil took him up to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. These words come from Psalm 91. And what the devil said was true, but Jesus was able to put that verse into context. He knew that it didn't mean for him to tempt his heavenly Father. So in verse 7, Jesus replied, As it is written, again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Jesus knew how to detect that temptation wrapped in truth, or that lie wrapped in truth. He used the light of God's word to do it. Psalm 119.105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God's word is the light that can help us detect the deceitful dangers of sin. Next, the scripture can help us detect temptation, but it can also help us reject it. Not only detect it, but reject it. Every time Jesus was tempted in these verses, he overcame it the same way by the word of God. Jesus said, it is written, it is written, it is written. And you can too, but first you've got to know the word and you've got to learn the word. Verse 3 says, Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones. After 40 days of fasting, it probably would have been a good idea to sound like, Hey, I could turn easily turn these stones into bread, for I'm hungry. But Jesus knew enough of God's word. It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every man, uh, word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We have to know the word. We have to trust the word. One of the key concepts for a soldier to be successful in battle is not only that he's well-trained, but he has complete confidence in his training and his equipment. If there's any doubt or any frustration with regards to his ability to execute his duties as a sign, it could lead to defeat. And we as soldiers of Christ need to trust the Word and know it implicitly where it's on ready recall. Many soldiers, and in my own combat experiences, after we try to relay what happened uh, in combat, um, you have a hard time remembering because a lot of what you do is by instinct. The problem is, is if you are not comfortable and confident in God's Word and learned it, then you're not going to have the right instincts to react in combat. Jesus Christ Himself, God of very gods, Tempted yet without sin, and depended on God's word and began his confrontation with Satan by saying, It is written. How lesser are we <laughs> to not depend on God's word, to think that we have some magic that we can avoid the catastrophic consequences of temptation? We can't. We have to trust God's word. In verse 7, he trusted that we should not tempt the Lord our God. In verse 10, Jesus trusted that we should worship the Lord our God. Him alone we serve. The more we learn God's word and trust his word, the more we are willing and able to reject temptation. Notice I use the word reject. I played with this. Because you can repel it. You can do all kinds of things to temptation. But have you ever felt rejected by somebody? That's not repelled or put off or all these English words that we could come up with that have a nice sound to them. Rejection is rejection. And temptation is to be rejected. We have to reject it. But first and foremost, we have to trust God's word 
about what it says about our sin and our Savior. We are sinners who deserve eternal death. Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for our sin. And Jesus rose again from the dead to secure salvation for us. And Jesus will save us if we turn to Him and trust Him as our Lord and Savior. There is no counterfeit to that. Uh, You can't social work yourself into heaven. You can't do it. Jesus overcame temptation by God's Word, and so can we. This is just one of the great powers of the Word of God, and the Lord's temptation teaches us about the power of Scripture. So our last lesson this morning. It also, number four, it teaches us about God providing new or renewed strength. Because to be tempted is a wearisome battle. In verse 11, the devil left Jesus, and behold, the angels came and ministered to him. Jesus needed some new strength, and so will we. God the Father provided that strength to Jesus through His angels, and our Heavenly Father will make a way to provide His strength to us. Paul prayed for it in Ephesians 3, 14 through 16. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened through His Spirit in the inner man. There has been situations and circumstances in my life professionally where I didn't think I had enough strength to go on. The circumstance and issue and challenges were absolutely overwhelming. But when I stepped into the arena to do what I know I need to do to help uh, provide support and comfort in dramatic situations, the Lord provides strength. In the inner man. Paul prayed for this new strength, and the Lord promised it in Isaiah 40 31. And you probably could quote it But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Ladies and gentlemen, there is nothing easy about this life. But to know that I have the Word of God, that I can learn it, and I can trust it. And that when I am tempted, there's some lessons I can learn to deal with temptation in my own life. To allow me to remain sanctified and consecrated for His service. And I've told this story from this pulpit before about consecrated and sacred. My mom had one of those hand mixers for the Bob. You know, remember the crank? And she loved it because she could do her meringues for her pies just perfect with that hand power, right? Didn't have to plug it in. I felt like it was a good idea to go out when I was building an interstate, not too far from here, off by 71 over by Bergstrom Airport now. It used to be Bergstrom Air Force Base. It was probably 74, 75, and I had a major highway going, major highway project. And I was using her hand mixer. When she saw me out there using her hand mixer, she had a different idea of what the ultimate purpose was for that device. And she let me know that what I had done was wrong. It was set apart. It was consecrated for special purposes in her kitchen. How dare we take something that God has consecrated for His work and His service and do despicable things to it? and allow it to be a part of the filth of this world. God help us as a people. 
The temptation of our Lord is important. So as we think about these lessons, you know, we need the leadership of the Holy Spirit, don't we? We talk about the Holy Spirit, but do we really rely on His leadership? When we face temptation, God's Word is essential to overcoming it. We absolutely must know and must be learning God's Word. And we need some new strength. We need God to be present with us and God to give us strength to face the challenges that we deal with every day in our workplace, in our home place, in our communities. These three lessons can't be independent of each other. It demands the leadership of the Holy Spirit. It demands God's Word and also demands a new strength. But if you're still in need of a Savior, the perfect God-man, this Jesus Christ, the one we've talked to, talked about today, is the one and only hope for you. There's no seminar, podcast, or boot camp that is going to reform your life. It's not going to be turning over a new leaf. It's not going to get, you know, getting a new set of clothes or getting a new relationship is not going to solve this one. We as a needy people simply only need Jesus Christ as our Savior. For He loves you. He died on the cross for you. Jesus Christ is the one and only hope for us. He rose again from the dead that He could save us if we put our trust in Him. You can do it right now as we go back to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Our precious Heavenly Father, before we hand it back over to our pastor, Lord, thank you for who you are and what you're doing. What a divine appointment. This message would have been good back in February in Traditions Chapel there on Fort Hood and Iron Horse Chapel. But Lord, for whatever reason in your economy, you had me preach it today in this place. For my own heart, for my own walk with you, but also the walk of your people. Thank you for all that you do for us. Lead God direct in our hearts as I hand it back over to Pastor. Amen. bowed before the Lord to confess sin to him, ask for his strength as we apply this message to our hearts in the quietness of this moment. <coughs> Lord, now seal to our hearts these lessons that we have observed in your word through the testimony of Christ who lived the perfect life, and then offered himself on our behalf so that we too might have victory over sin, not in ourselves, but through the victory of Christ. I pray that believers here this morning would apply this message to their hearts, that we would be renewed in depending on you to overcome temptation as we face each day. I pray for any here or uh, watching um, by video that might not know you as their personal Savior, have never known what it means to have victory over sin through the death and resurrection of Christ. I pray that you would draw them to yourself, that they might soon understand the gospel and place trust in him. We offer now these moments that we've had together in your word to you. May we apply them even throughout the week in Christ's name. Amen. I'll we'll make a few announcements to you um, before we...